0: Before the rings of power, there were the Silmarils. Before Sauron, there was his master, Morgoth. Before Aragorn and Arwen, there was Beren and Luthien. Welcome to Window on the West, where we explore all the ages of Tolkien's Middle-earth with your hosts, Jonathan Watson, Michael Grumbine, and Dan Coates.
1: Welcome to Window on the West. My name is Jonathan Watson uh, from TheWandering.com. I'm here along with Michael Grumbine and Dan hope? Coates. Hey, uh, as we continue our journey through the Silmarillion, this week we're going to be going through Valaquenta, uh, essentially the second chapter of the Silmarillion. But before we do, we kind of want to take a uh, a little jovial turn, maybe a little little bit of a game, have a little fun. Uh, something that we're going to call
0: "All that is gold does not glitter,"
1: also known as "Identify the Tolkien quote." So what we've done to see how good these guys are, because Michael Michael has no excuse. He's read Tolkien his entire life. He reads it at least what once a year, The Lord um, of the Rings. Sure, once, once a, week, a week, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, and Dan is uh, a longtime fan now as well, uh, having read the having Lord read of the Rings a couple, couple uh, times, A couple times, yeah, A couple times. Very deliberately, the last time on the podcast on the Babylon Bee. Uh, but here's what I've got. I've got I've got four quotes that we're going to look at and it is your job to determine which one is Tolkien and uh, bonus points. If you can tell me who, is, who actually said the other fake quotes, we'll see. We'll see if you guys are really even that good. You might, you might get it. I don't know. We'll see. So I'm going to, here's the first one. Uh, the quote is it is safe to assert that no government proper ever had a provision in its organic law for its own termination. All right it is safe to assert that no government proper ever had a provision in its organic law for its own termination. So the next one, uh, the next one is government is an abstract noun, meaning the art and process of governing. And it should be an offense to write it with a capital G or so as to refer to people. The next is this. The working men are the basis of all governments for the plain reason that they are the most numerous the working men are the basis of all governments for the plain reason mm. that they are the most numerous. And then my last quote for you guys to, uh, to earn your Tolkien bona fides is the increasing complexity and precariousness of our economic life have forced government to take over many spheres of activity once left to choice or chance. The increasing mm. complexity and precariousness of our economic life have forced government to take over many spheres of activity once left to choice or chance.
2: So one of those is Tolkien and one the other three Tolkien. are not. And the other three are not. Exactly. Okay. What do you I only mean? recognize one of those
3: quotes. Um I, I think I've read I've read another one but I can't place. I can place one of the quotes. Cool. So I'm down to 3, but I'm not telling Dan which one I can place. <laughs> that, <laughs> that, isn't, that isn't Tolkien.
1: All right. Um if you, All if, right. you if you guys if you guys each have an answer. I do. I have an answer and I have a reason, but
2: we'll see i will take. I'll take a guess. All right, go for it, Dan. You go first. I think the Tolkien quote is the second one. Government is an abstract noun, meaning the art and process of governing, and it should be an offense to write it with a capital G or so as to refer to people. And why would you say that? that? I think I've read that before, and I think that was a letter that Tolkien wrote to either his son or somebody. I don't Mm -hmm. know all okay. so right.
1: That's pretty specific. I don't know, Michael. What do you think?
3: Um, so my my uh, vote is the same as Dan's, and the re- but I don't. I did not know of this letter. If there is a letter, if he's right, but my the reason. So I know the first one is not. The first one is Abraham Lincoln, and you are correct. Um, it's, that is correct. It's a great quote yep. from Abraham Lincoln. But the second one, I'm going with the second one for the reason that Tolkien, being a philologist, is very concerned with words and their use and always. And so his this is a quote about word use. And so that's my guess is the number two for the for the reason of philology.
1: Wow, you guys are amazing. You both got it right. I got to make this a lot harder. That's incredible. No, but I like that. that. was pretty good, actually. Yeah, Dan, that you it. even remembered this. So clearly you've read this somewhere else. Not only have you read The Lord's of the Rings, so, tonight, so you've read all of his letters and have memorized them. No, 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 no. no.
2: <laughs> it must be just something I found in my anarchist days. <laughs>
1: That's what they all say. Uh, wow. And Michael, yeah, I'm not surprised that you brought that up because that was one quote where, yeah, that that would be a tip of the of the hat towards being a philologist right the the word the noun and and that sort of approach that he took uh, in that phrasing of it and, but it was a letter to Christopher Tolkien november 29th
2: 1943 hey
1: uh very good
3: dan. wow dan impressive <laughs> awesome.
1: very impressive
3: is the I next well quote
2: is the next quote about the working men karl marx no no, it? no, it's not.
1: No, do you know who that is, Michael? You got, you got. Uh, no, I, I don't. But I don't. I know Karl Marx's style, and yeah. that does not. That Lincoln's is actually style. also Abraham Lincoln. Oh, okay. So yeah. that, that quote is the working men are the basis of all governments for the plain reason that they are the most numerous. Yeah, hmm. I'm not sure exactly from what, but it's a it's a quote from Abraham Lincoln. Um, nice. The last one: the increasing complexity and precariousness of our economic life have forced government to take over many spheres of activity once left to choice or chance. Uh, Sounds socialist to me. <laughs> Milton Friedman. It's, there's a there's a good chance uh, Tolkien read this before it was published. Mm. Oh, you want to take a guess now? Hmm? Yeah. Could it be
2: C.S. Lewis?
1: <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, C.S. Lewis. Oh shoot, I lost <laughs> where that's from exactly, but that is a quote from C.S. Lewis.
0: Nice.
2: Well, Tolkien would uh, would have Lewis uh, executed then because he used government <laughs> with a capital G.
1: Well, I don't know. That was just copy and pasted from uh, –
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I don't know if that was literally exactly how, how Lewis wrote it, so we won't, uh, we won't judge him based on the – Oh, okay. Well,
3: well and, and besides, Tolkien and Lewis had plenty of uh, stiff argument
1: uh, in the time. <laughs> so so – we're also going to take a little bit of a different tack this time in our second episode. We, we want to kind of, instead of uh, being uh, you know didactic in our approach of how, to, how we want to look at the Silmarillion, uh, we're going to start off with something. Since Dan is the newcomer here to the Silmarillion, um, we're going to start off with...
2: Dan's Big thought. This could be a mistake, but <laughs> well, we <laughs> no, know. this is almost definitely the right
1: kind of
3: mistake.
2: Yeah. If it's yeah.
1: a mistake, you're putting yourself out there by calling it big band. So, <laughs>
2: well, I don't know how. Yeah, I don't know how big of a thought this is. So, you know, the Valaquenta is interesting. It comes after like the the Genesis account, basically for Tolkien, and he just kind of keeps developing the idea with the the Ainur that sang, and then the Lupitar brought that that world into being. And so what's interesting to me is that the Valar have their own domains. So you have one Valar that's over the water, one that's over the air, one that's over the earth. Uh, And then you have, we find out that there's seven uh, Valar and seven Queens of the Valar. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, my big thought I guess was the contrast between those Valar and Melkor who we find out, and this kind of touches on a thought that I had from last week too. I have thoughts that fold into other thoughts apparently, but it, it kind of reminds me of something I was starting to get into last week where Melkor was given the greatest gifts of power and knowledge and how that kind of folded into for what I was thinking of, like the problem of evil, um, getting into that whole free will predestination thing of everything's been sung already and then it, it then it goes into being – but the idea that, you know, why was Melkor given the greatest gifts of knowledge and power? And the, my big thought for this week is how Melkor is contrasted against the Valar. He's, he's envious. He's covetous. He's mm. arrogant. He's jealous. He's a liar without shame. Um, what's interesting to me is that he gets rejected by Varda, who is the queen of the lights or the, of the starlight. And so maybe all of the history of evil in Tolkien's mythology could have been avoided if Varda just went on a date with Melkor. <laughs> so that was kind of interesting.
1: Every, every destruction in the history yeah. of man it comes back to unrequited love,
2: really. Yeah. That's- so what's interesting to me is it kind of gets into, for, for me, this whole idea of how, of how this character of Melkor that Tolkien is bringing up is that he can only corrupt we find out that he, he has like this war with Aule who's the Valar of the earth and he can only mar what he does. He can only undo what he does. Um, He's kind of like Satan in the sense that like he, he tempts other people and with these promises of, Hey, if you come work for me, I'll I'll," like, I think he tempts one of the Maiar that is under Ulmo. He says, "I'll, I'll, I'll give you the powers of Ulmo. I'll give you his domain. If you come and work for me and, it's just interesting to me that he makes these promises that, you know, don't seem to be in his power to fulfill. <laughs> so he, he can only, he can only destroy. He can only lie. Um, it's a very interesting character and and how he's, he's, uh, contrasted with the other Valar who are simply just faithful in, in sticking to the domain that's been given to them. When
1: I, when I look at him, right. I, like we were talking about last week, um, with the parallels that you can kind of see with legendary stories. And Melkor, I feel like he has as an evil, as the primordial evil spirit of the universe. He has, I think, a different feel than uh, the ones that we we grow to or we know from other legendariums or even from Satan, right? There, I mean, Satan, hes he's fallen. Uh, he rebelled, but there's so much more depth to Melkor and the relationship he has with the Valar, which we don't learn about necessarily um, when it comes to uh, the Christian approach. Right.
3: There's not as much in the Christian scriptures, in
1: Judaic scriptures, there's yeah. not as much about
3: the character of Satan. Obviously, Tolkien's going to give us a lot more about the mind of Melkor or Morgoth as, um, than, than we're going to get from any other epic tale. Um, because his he he just writes and writes about him. I mean, this is he is the great enemy throughout this book. Yeah, um, Sauron comes in only in other books. I mean, he, he makes an appearance or two in this book, but but um, especially near the end, he makes more than one appearance. But yeah, but uh, he's Morgoth is definitely the chief foe for the first part of the book. Yeah, so there's it is, it is interesting the the this, the similarities and differences. You know, it's fascinating to me that Tolkien created a hierarchy in the way that, you know, it's easily crosswalked with, with um, other pantheons of gods from legend. Mm-hmm. Even mentions that the people of middle earth thought of them, Valar as gods. And so there's a, there's a clear parallel there. Um, and you can, you can tie a number of the Valar to directly in myth, for example, Poseidon and Omo sure. are, there's,
1: there are tremendous uh, yeah. similarities even, between the two. Even Zeus and Manwe.
3: Yes, although Zeus is um, a lot more fierce and direct. Manwe Manway's descriptions are very interesting to me. For example, to compare the two, Manwe and Melkor were brothers. Melkor was the greatest in power, mm-hmm. but it said of um it said that uh, the mightiest was Melkor, but Manwe was the dearest to Iluvatar and understood most clearly his purposes. Yeah. And and we will see also that Manwe is someone that he he has a lot of trust, like he keeps hoping that his brother is going to be able to be reformed throughout this book. Mm. And, and um, what's interesting to me is that he sees clearly the purposes of Iluvatar, but he doesn't understand evil um, the way that Iluvatar does, clearly from the beginning, because Iluvatar explains to Melkor... <laughs> exactly how it's going to go with him yeah. <laughs> that he's going to keep trying to destroy and so discord and it's going to keep be turned, turned back to Iluvatar's own purposes. But Manway keeps seeing, you know, he's, he wars, he and the Valor war with Melk for many years, but I won't jump ahead too much, but I do think that there's these strong parallels with other myth- mythos and which Tolkien would, of course not be trying to hide. The,
1: the particulars when it gets into um, the Maiar and the lesser beings um I, I always found those really interesting. The Valar enjoy Middle-earth. That's their jam. They want to be in Middle-earth. They love it. They love. They want to bring, you know, we'll find out. They want to bring the elves over, all that sort of stuff. It's the lesser beings, the Maiar, you know, say, I'll say, and uh Eonwe and and right? Those characters that get their feet dirty. Whereas like the Valar, so they're 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 the heralds, they're the messengers. Um, and so for all the love that the Valor have for it, it's like, eh, we don't really want to get super duper involved in every little thing. Um, and going back to this, I always thought that was curious that, you know, and, and we learned that without a direct call to them from a character later in the future to get them involved, like they won't get involved. And I'm not sure why that is, but I always thought that was a curious approach. I'm not sure if you guys have any thoughts on that.
3: Yep. I think we're going to get clues about why. I think there's, they're going to say a few things directly. Um, I think there's a wisdom in them not getting involved. So, so I do think I do think pretty much their primary job, interestingly enough, is done before the arrival of the children of Iluvatar. They are responsible for forming the earth yeah. and for for bringing about the land and the seas and the and preparing a place for the children of Iluvatar, and that's their mighty work. And then ultimately, this they end up having a secondary job of protecting the children of Iluvatar from Melkor. But when they do so. Um, it doesn't always end well. No, and so for the children of Lothar, and so so I, I think there is a wisdom that we're going to see some okay. some there. But you're right that there's far more interaction with the uh, with the Maiar, yeah. of which he has little to say in this chapter. Not nothing, Not but nothing. little.
1: But no, 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 and one of them. I, I like this quote. This is one of the quotes that that stuck out to me, where he talks about uh, Sauron a little bit, uh, and he mentions um, in all the deeds of Melkor, uh, Melkor the Morgoth upon Arda. In his vast works and in the deceits of his cunning, Sauron had a part and was only less evil than his master in that for long he served another and not himself. So the only thing that made him less evil than Sauron was, or than Morgoth was that he served Morgoth first before he only served himself. And that, that was the one thing that made him less evil. Than, and it's sort of a, an interesting statement of, well, he's not 100% selfish. Throughout his entire life, he actually had to do something that wasn't only just for himself. I mean, maybe that's the argument. This that that quote stuck out to me, and I think there's there's some depth to that quote. That's what makes Morgoth pure evil, pure. Like he was all about wanting the control and wanting the power. And so the only reason Sauron isn't that quite evil is because he had to serve Morgoth first.
3: And he was, and by extension, then because I love that quote too. By extension. Sauron was that evil once Morgoth that, was that's gone, true. because yes. then, he, because then he was the one. I mean, it, it was all about him and his will and his desire to dominate. Yeah. yeah, that's right. My favorite quote of this entire reading, I have to admit, made me laugh. It's about Tulkas. Mm-hmm. Tolkus, he has little heed for either the past or the future, and is of no avail as a counselor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he'll just
1: wrestle you. That's
3: pretty much it. Tolkien has a few backhanded compliments about Tolkien throughout the Silmarillion. But in the end, what's funny is he is the one. It it, it is interesting to me, it shows you Tolkien's hierarchy of values, too. Because, you know, so he was a soldier, served in a war, understood the nature of using force to defend, um, also understood the the terrible nature of war. And so he makes the greatest warrior of the Valar the least of the Valar. Hmm. And and you know, Uh, interesting in in terms of so many other qualities, and and, you know, and he also laughs all the time. He has the opposite character to War, Um, what you usually find in warriors. So Mm -hmm. Tolkis is is this laughing warrior, but he's the only one that goes toe to toe physically with With Melkor Melkor in the end. Yeah, well, Mm -hmm. with I don't want to ruin it for you, Dan, but
1: yeah. Speaking of being ruined, I think uh, when I first read the Silmarillion, I was what like seven seventh grade I think I tried it and I got to this chapter and I w- I was lost I was like I can't I can't do this all the names all the descriptions yeah, it's just a list of names it is right? it's it feels like numbers like the book of numbers yeah I, <laughs> it just lost me and so I think this is this is kind of like you know we say that uh, a lot of people get lost at the Council of Elrond um, in Rivendell in the Fellowship of the Ring because there's so much exposition there and so much story that maybe you're not familiar with and you're having trouble getting through same thing once you ca- you, you think like oh uh and literally that's kind of beautiful the whole song and the, that that story of how the w- world and universe is created and you get to this and you're like who are who are these chaps like i really i don't really care who i is at this point i have no relationship with that at all and so it makes it tough i feel like if tolkien would have written this here if he would have been, lived long enough to write this into a a, a different chapter so to speak a- another way of getting this to us without being it making it so dry uh i think that would have been really a big benefit to us readers but I-, I can live with it still but coming to this from from the lord of the rings was was pretty rough for me as a kid yeah, it is it's a totally Although different type of your like 13 year old daughter has read the Silmarillion like five or six times so she has and in effect she asked me prior to this
3: particular podcast she said, um, "Asked me who my favorite of the Valar was." Oh, and do you have one? I do, and and my oh, favorite guys. is the one that after all of my readings, I still messed up on the name <laughs> because. <laughs> because they never use his name my favorite is mandos but oh. it's his name is not mandos as is explained here and used almost nowhere else his name is namo yeah namo and Umo. mandos is or namo, mandos is the halls the halls of the dead yeah. that the elves yeah. go to it's and like hades that, right he's well he is like Beset. he and olmo are the two probably for me the strongest parallels with greek mythology yeah. for example yeah Although Olmo more so, because Mandos' character is not like Hades. Um, but he has simil- He has a similar purview. And and so, yes. But his name is actually Namo, and his brother's name is Irmo. And bo- both both of them are known by the places they dwell instead of their actual names. So Irmo is, na- is known for the place, which is the Forest of Lorien, of which Lothlorien is a f- pale reflection in Middle-earth. Mm-hmm. And so and then his brother, Namo, who's my favorite... The quote about him, he is the keeper of the houses of the dead and the summoner of the spirits of the slain. He forgets nothing and he knows all things that shall be, save only those that lie still in the freedom of Iluvatar, which yeah. is a fantastic, to my mind, quote, because first of all, it explains me why I like him so much because he's an historian, right? He knows all mm-hmm. things that were mm-hmm. b- before. So he knows, he knows all the past and he knows all the future. With the exception of those that lie within the freedom of Luvatar, which gives a very interesting architecture to Tolkien's view on time in Middle-earth. Because there's, it's like it's almost as if it's there's a plan and it's going to happen the way it's going to happen with the exception of Luvatar's free will to step in.
1: He's very, uh, I like him a lot. Um, I, I feel like he's he's kept at a distance right like I've, he, he definitely through is the, through the stories we, we get to know Barda uh, and Manwe a lot more particularly Omo we got to know him quite a bit uh, but um, yeah yeah there's the the mystery about him because it also is you know the halls of Mandos is where the dead go
2: but we don't know what that really means but, you know, yeah is that the and, dead elves or the dead men no, just not the dead men. Dead elves. So because the dead, we'll the, the, the dead men go to Iluvatar, right? Right.
3: Yes. Yeah. Or, as it says, I believe there, the, the Valar know not where. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> the mystery.
1: It is one of those things that are still in the freedom of Iluvatar. Right.
2: So I have one of those basic questions that would come about for someone reading this for the first time. Okay. Um, I Several times in this chapter, it mentions Aman. And it mentions that the Noldar beheld the Valar in Amman. and I'm wondering who, what. <laughs> who define all those terms. Hmm. Being Tolkien, there are many names yeah. for each place and person. So, are the Noldar the Eldar, Are is that the same thing? And the Eldar, are the so old the Noldor, elves.
3: Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get a full explanation.
2: But the Noldor are one of the races of elves. Okay. And so they beheld the Valar in Amman. Right. So Amman is um, the land of the Valar, or portion of it. Well, actually, I think it's the whole thing. And so that's not Middle Earth? No. Okay, that's where that map comes in handy. <laughs> see, I, I, I
3: knew I so, knew this was going to be a moment that Mr. Watson was going to pull. So out if the we
1: Alice. go to let's see,
3: while he's looking that up, Dan, who is your favorite of the Valar from the description given? I know you haven't read the whole rest of it, so you don't have a, an
2: opinion in that regard. But. Um, the one that's described as a hunter is that or- orome. orome? I thought that was mm-hmm. interesting because he's like just this guy that just. It doesn't describe him having some kind of instrument, and he's able to play music, and he's all about the hunt in in inside the forest, and oh, the horn, the horn. Yes, I was I was wondering, like, yeah, he has a horn. I don't
3: know if he has other music. So he's uh,
2: he's less strong than Tolkis, but more dreadful in anger. And whereas Tolkis laughs ever in sport or in war, and even in the face of Melkor, he laughed in battles before the Elves were born. Oromë loved the lands of Middle-earth, and he left them unwillingly and came last to Valinor. And oft of old he passed back east over the mountains and returned with his host to the hills and the plains. He's a hunter of monsters and fell beasts, and he delights in horses and hounds and all trees he loves.
1: So Amon, just so we all know, it is, like, like we were saying, it is, it, it is the blessed realm, right? But it's the continent, right? So there are... And what's funny is I think this goes into it uh, next as we read more into the next chapters, we'll, we'll hear these words more. But there's Aman. On Aman is uh, Valinor, which is, I believe, that's the city, right, officially, or that the domain. Or Taniquetl, is the that's the mountain on Aman, that's the highest point. And then yeah. uh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember all the little bits here. So yes, Aman is the the land where the Valar live, the continent okay. where the Valar
2: live. So this is all the undying lands that are in the west, uh, yes. over the ocean, across from Middle Earth.
1: Uh, yeah, although there is kind of like the, the the world is flat right now, and so what? Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: it's a flat Earth. It's a flat Earth. It is indeed. Really. Yes. There are, so if you see, like, there's the encircling ocean, there's the, the, the edges of the world. Like, you can look at the map, and if you have it with you, you could,
2: yeah, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. If,
1: if you look at it, it'll say, like, you know, it's flat, and there's the encircling sea, and then there are the edges, and then you can't go beyond that. Uh, eventually, Earth is made round, and that's why, they, the, where you hear, you know, they sail into the west because there is one straight path to get to Valinor still because Valinor ends up, or uh, Aman Valinor it ends up no longer being, in the circles of the earth down like at at the end of Return
2: of the Well said. Yeah, it's well said.
1: Clearly there's a lot to uh, to remember. Dan, you don't know all this yet? Come on.
2: Yeah. So when uh, when Frodo and everybody leaves Middle Earth and they sail west they don't actually sail west in the sense of sailing around the planet. They 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 take they they, they take a straight path off into some other realm. Think globe and then they leave on a tangent. Yeah, and go off. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
1: That's kind of the idea.
2: But at this point, what you're saying is that the world is flat, and Amon and Valinor they are on the same plane as everything else. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. I totally did not get that reading through this the first time. And
2: and it doesn't
3: and it doesn't make that much difference actually. Like the, the way the way it works. Um, it makes a difference at a few points, but yeah. but not not in the way where it's always referring to the Earth being flat or anything like yeah. that. I mean, for all intents and purposes, when people interact with the Earth and the people around them, they treat it as flat anyway. Because <laughs> it's when it come, when it comes to stories and such, um, there's very little that has to do with the Earth being round yeah. that affects that affects the, the the inner workings of a story. Now that we've shocked him with the flat Earth theory, <laughs> yeah, I, I had
2: no idea Tolkien was we're a flat, flat Earther. Yeah. <laughs> we're
3: all
1: flat Earthers. Yeah,
3: we're all flat Middle Earthers. We're not flat Earthers. <laughs> I liked his passage on Olorin, um, or Lauren, and as we often say, yeah, and you know about how how you know even he's noteworthy even before the main story. Yeah. So um it's is Gandalf I think you know that Dan
1: I didn't know that so now I do it is mentioned in the there you go. Uh, briefly in the book I think in return of the king the, the, the elves call him Olorin yes so wisest of the
3: maiar was was Olerine. so so he he was he was in fact of all the maiar he was the wisest which is quite a quite a hmm. uh, in, impressive characteristic uh considering there are quite a few maiar There's just not a lot that are named and so it tells about how he walked the earth unseen amongst the elves most of the time. Yeah. which was interesting.
1: He's not mentioned a whole lot more than this in the entire Silmarillion. So. Hmm. Correct. I think most, most here. Yeah. Maybe one or two other mentions, but not much.
2: So interesting. So in, in, in this description, Olorin uh, says he walked often in the house of Nienna and he learned pity and patience. And he, love the elves and you walked among them unseen so yeah so you're going you're kind of getting a picture of who gandalf is before you see gandalf interesting yeah i didn't catch that when i was reading it i'm just like who's this olorin guy yeah that's great so olorin uh-huh. Al- Al- doesn't really come up very much in the Cimmerillion. no no okay yeah,
1: you know, I realize in, in re- reading all this here and talking about the the names, what we need is like the message version, Eugene Peterson's version <laughs> of the Silmarillion, <laughs> where yeah. uh, where all these references are brought to us on a on a more colloquial level. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we can close this one off. We're we're uh, we're going to move on next week to the Quenta Silmarillion. Actually, get that started and uh, go through chapter one of the beginning of days. Uh, before we do close, though,
0: if you like Tolkien.
1: When we started The Ring.com in 1999, uh, we, I had a friend of mine, a close friend of mine, uh, who'd never read any Tolkien, never read The Hobbit, Silmarillion, or Lord of the Rings, never. And this was before the films came out, so he hadn't seen the films either. Uh, convinced him to write an article for every chapter of The Silmarillion, The Hobbit, and The Lord of the Rings and read it through, starting with The Silmarillion, going through The Lord of the Rings. And he did this for three years wow. and like four months. I don't remember how many articles it is. It's you know obviously over a hundred. I'd, I'd have to go in and check. That's quite impressive. But we called it a Tolkien virgin, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> and it was quite popular. Like we got we got thousands of views or tens of thousands uh, weekly on it, and uh, there were you know deep discussions on our message boards at the time, which are no longer around. But, uh, but we do have that still up. So if you're curious, you can go to the slash virgin, and that'll forward you to a list of all that. It'll be in the, alpha, or in the chronological order. Um, and it's, it's, it's a fun read. Um, it's old now, uh, but it's, uh, it's still just going through the Silmarillion. And it's interesting because his take is from the Silmarillion first, then to the Hobbit, then to the Lord of the Rings. Oh, wow. And so he has the entire knowledge of the Silmarillion before going into the hobbit and the lord of the rings and so when he comes up at the end and and he goes through the bits of history that we see uh in the lord of the rings from the silmarillion he has that knowledge of who those characters are and when they're brought up it was really interesting to see him read through the lord of the rings with the knowledge of the silmarillion already um buried in in his mind like he knew these things already it was it was an interesting read so something to look back at if you guys are interested at some point in the future that's cool yeah well All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening and uh, glad to have you along and we'll catch you next week.
3: Yep. We finally get into, well, a bit about the elves.
1: Bye.
0: Michael, Dan, and Jonathan want to thank you, the listener, for joining us. Visit us at theonering.com, your source for everything Tolkien, where you can comment on this episode and join the conversation. This is Austin Robertson bidding you farewell. May the wind under your wings bear you where the sun sails and the moon walks.